So take this opportunity now to sit in meditation. And we sit uh, with our bodies upright and our right foot, um, our right leg placed over our left and our right hand on our left palm. We establish mindfulness to the fore, which means that our mind is here in the present moment. We take the breath as an object of awareness. And as the breath comes in, we recite but, and as it leaves, recite do. This is a method of keeping our mindfulness focused here in this present moment. Because when our minds are present and aware, then it won't be difficult for them to find a place of peace. When they've gathered, gathered together in a calm state, it'll be natural that they'll then retract from that state and start thinking. And at that point, we should use our contemplation to look into the nature of physicality and mentality, to see it as being um, changing and unstable, stressful and not self. There was one time that Lumpur Cha, he taught about the nature of samadhi and the nature of contemplation. There was one lay disciple who wished to listen to a Dharma talk uh, from Lumpur Cha, but he wanted for it to be a, a personal Dharma talk. And I was fortunate enough to be attending on Lumpur Cha at that time. So I asked if I could go along as well. And I invited a few of my close friends to listen. When Lumpur Cha taught this layman, he taught a very important method about contemplation. Before that, I was under the impression that if we're going to contemplate, then we need to break apart these bodies, to look into them and take them apart until we can see it as being anatta, to separate out the elements. And in doing this, that will allow us to understand the Dhamma. And this method, it is correct, but there is also another way of going about it. So Lumpur Cha taught that those who have very stable and strong samadhi, that it's possible to just teach the mind, to tell the mind that this body is impermanent, that it changes. And if the mind isn't distracted and going off and thinking, then, and it's in a state of peace, then it'll be able to accept that. And it's okay to just do that, to just instruct our mind in that way. Whenever we have emotions that are caught up in liking or disliking, then all we have to do is to teach the mind that this is not sure, that doesn't last. And that's enough for our minds to be able to abandon those 
feelings of liking and disliking, if there is enough peace there in our minds, we'll be able to extract the clinging and attachment that we have towards those states. So it's not necessary to contemplate in a way that breaks everything down into its parts. What we have to do is to instruct the mind in a way that allows it to accept the truth. So if we have minds that are collected and stable enough and our mindfulness is energized to a sufficient degree, then it's not necessary to contemplate in this manner. We don't have to break things apart like that. All we have to do is just guide our minds to teach them and guide them towards the truth in a way that they'll be unable to accept that. And this is a method for us to attain to the Dhamma. Because samadhi is already strong enough, but if the state of our minds isn't like that, if they're not um, well established, then we do have to really work at this contemplation to go through the body and to break it apart and to see it as being um, unstable, as being stressful and not self, and continuously do this. When we do that, then our minds will be able to accept that truth. It may not be enough to just contemplate into anicca, so we have to go on and see it all the way through till anatta. Then we come back and we re-establish our samadhi and focus on um, calming our minds down again. And we go back and forth between this, between the calming of the mind and the contemplation aspect of the practice, and do this continuously until we're able to sustain our samadhi. And when samadhi is constant there in our hearts, the wisdom that is born from that will be distinct and clear. We'll be able to gather together the aspects of the path, the sila samadhi panya, that all come together into one. And we'll understand the truth at that point. This method of practice is using our wisdom, panya, to develop and nurture samadhi. So it depends on our characters, which way we use. Some people, if they try to just stay with the breath and watch the breath as it comes in and leaves, or be reciting the mantra Buddha, then it can be very difficult to gain stillness and clarity from that. It'll be... For those who like to think and uh, proliferate, then calm, the calming of the mind doesn't come very easily. But for those who um, are very settled and the mind doesn't go off very much, then it won't be difficult to bring the heart to peace. For samadhi to be kept continuously there in the mind, and when the samadhi is there, we'll be able to pass over 
these feelings of liking and disliking through the power of that calm. It won't be necessary to contemplate into these emotions. All I have to do is just calm the mind down and it won't be interested in them. It won't go and attach to any of the sense objects that we experience because the hindrances are absent from the mind. So this is someone who is very skilled at bringing their minds to peace. And when they do that, then they can use that power then to contemplate. When the mind is very calm and samadhi is deep and firm, and we're able to keep that, keep our hearts in a state of collectedness and um, being well grounded for a long time when that's the normal state of our mind, then it won't be long. Uh, once we use that to contemplate into the body, it won't take a long time to see into the Dhamma. And that's because of the stability of samadhi. So having that, then using that power of mind to contemplate, um, this is developing the path of sila samadhi panya of virtue, of concentration and wisdom just the same. And it's using samadhi as the basis of the practice to then go and contemplate. So there are these two ways of going about it. The first is using wisdom to develop samadhi. And the second is to focus on samadhi and then use that to contemplate and give rise to wisdom. So when samadhi is there, then it won't be difficult for uh, panya to arise through our contemplation. So when the mind is very, when it's been gathered together into one point and we're skilled at the development of samadhi, then this contemplation won't be difficult. and We'll be able to see clearly due to that samadhi. And this is known as uh, jeto vimuti. Those who are more adept at the wisdom aspect, all that's necessary is to gain just enough samadhi. So you calm the mind down to the point where we're able to engage in contemplation practice and then go about contemplating. So there are these two ways. And at the beginning, um, meditation practitioners may not have much of an understanding of these two different paths. They may be very focused on their path and not have much respect for the other path. But once people who are practicing on any of these ways have developed uh, their bhavana to a sufficient degree, then they'll gain an understanding that really these two ways, they lead to the same end. So this is what Lumpur Cha taught, that with these two paths, there are those who focus more on the contemplation aspect and they're adept at wisdom. So they go about looking at this body, breaking it apart, um, seeing it in terms of the elements, but their samadhi is not very strong. They'll think that this method of 
using contemplation and giving that the um, most importance is the way that will lead to the most swift progress. They'll think that those who focus on samatha practice, on calming the mind down, that all they're experiencing is calm, but they don't get any insight from that. They're not looking at the nature of reality, and they're not gaining any understanding. They'll think that those who are developing on this wisdom path are going faster. That those who are developing samadhi, they don't have any wisdom, and there's no way that they'll be able to see into the Dhamma. That this is the fastest way. But those who are more skilled at samadhi and who are practicing on the path of calm, they'll have a different viewpoint. They'll think that those who are practicing this wisdom path, that they just don't have any stability to their minds, that their minds aren't in a good state, and that even though they try to contemplate, they won't really be, um, they won't get much from it. They'll think that this developing of calm and of peace of heart, it's much more relaxed. It brings a sense of well-being and fulfillment. And they'll see that from that very calm and contented place, it's easy then to contemplate, and in no long time, one will be able to see into the Dhamma. So people practicing on these two paths will have differing viewpoints. But really, once they have practiced, then they'll see that it all leads to the same Dhamma. There may be comparisons between those two methods, thinking that the path of wisdom is faster, or the path of samadhi is faster. Those on the wisdom path will think that those who are practicing samatha, they're not doing any contemplation. All they're doing is just suppressing the defilements. But really, from that very stable, energized, inner abiding, it won't be long to um, see into the Dharma once contemplation is applied. So really, the end point is the same. And that end point is Dhamma. So therefore, we need to be observant and aware of what we personally like and what our character tends towards. And if we're someone who likes to think and proliferate, um, who doubts quite a lot, then we'll find that samatha practice can be quite difficult. Maybe we can gain peace of mind sometimes. So what we should do is try to gain whatever peace we're able to, whatever level of calm we can get the mind into, and then use that. Use that as a basis for contemplation into this body and this mind so that we can accept the truth, see how both the body and mind fall under these characteristics of anicca, dukkha, anatta. If we can do this well enough, then our minds will be able to let go of 
rupa and nama, of physicality and mentality, bringing a sense of lightness and joy into the heart. The mind will then experience emptiness from attachments to um, anything physical or mental. There will be a deep sense of inner contentment and fulfillment from doing this. So this is the method of wisdom that gives rise to samadhi, of contemplating with a peaceful mind in order to then give rise to further wisdom. So Venerable Lumpur Shah, he taught this method as well, of contemplating in a way that allows us to let go of any aramana or of any thing that our minds experience. So whenever our eyes perceive a form, whenever our ears hear a sound, whenever our nose uh, contacts odor, our tongue tastes something, our bodies experience feeling, or there's a thought or emotion that arises in the heart, then it can be very easy for the mind to get caught in liking or disliking towards that sensation. So whatever we can do that will prevent our hearts from getting attached, or once they have climbed on, to contemplate in whatever way that enables us to let go, to see that both liking and disliking is anicca, dukkha, anatta, or to teach our mind that this is not sure, it's impermanent, it won't last. If we really like something, that's unsure. If we hate something, it's not sure. If we're very afraid, that's too not sure. So we teach our minds constantly throughout the entire day, always having our awareness there centered on our hearts, to seeing what it is that our hearts are attaching to. Having this Puru, the one who knows, this awake and aware mind there, taking care of our minds. Seeing if they've gone off and started getting involved in liking towards something or disliking something. And if they have, then to practice in any way that allows us to extract that attachment from our hearts. We can try contemplating into the body to perceive it as being merely elements. Just see it as something arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. Whatever way we can use that will allow us to understand the nature of anicca, dukkha, anatta there. Whatever contemplation we can use that will enable us to see the conventional nature of physicality, of all material things, whether it's these bodies or whether it's just any material thing in the world. We can see that all the value that we place upon these things, the price tags that we put on them, these are just suppositions that we've come up with. Really, they're merely elements following their nature. We can contemplate in this way that will bring our minds to a point of liberation, vimuti.
seeing that all of these material things, they don't last. And at the end, we have to throw them all away. At the time of the Buddha, there was one monk called Venerable Ratabala, and he was the foremost in faith in ordination. He was a child of a very wealthy family. But he once had the opportunity to go and listen to the Buddha give a sermon, and a very deep faith arose in his heart. He saw that this world has no owner, and that one has to pass it on, leaving everything behind. That old age, sickness and death, they all come towards us. And these things really are the owners of the world. In the end, we have to throw everything away and leave it here. Venerable Ratabala, as a layman, he contemplated into this teaching until he became tired and weary with the world. Even though he had a lot of wealth, he wasn't very interested in that wealth anymore because he saw that one day he would have to leave it all behind. And even this body of his, he'd have to toss that away in the world. All external wealth, all material things, they don't last, they're not sure. And he saw that old age was steadily coming towards him. Even though his body at that time was still quite young and strong, he saw that old age and weakness it was steadily approaching. And this made him weary with regards to the world. He perceived that all material things are of the same nature, that when we first obtain them, they're new, but in no long time they'll grow old and they'll start to break apart, they'll start to malfunction, and eventually they'll, um, they'll completely break and become useless. None of it lasts. He contemplated into the nature of the world and saw that it's all changing. It's all without owner. No one's able to stop old age, sickness and death. And when these things come, when we become sick and our bodies are full of pain, no one's able to help us. Not even our relatives can give their assistance at that time. We have to leave everything behind. And just as we came into this world by ourselves, we have to leave by ourselves as well. He understood that it's of the utmost importance to not be heedless, but to really devote this life towards creating goodness and committing skillful actions, to be devoted towards generosity and morality and the lifting up um, of the mind, creating as much goodness within our hearts as we can. Because one day we have to throw everything behind in this world. He saw that this world is insufficient, it's insatiable, a slave to craving. That no matter how much beings in this world have, they just want more. There's never a feeling of contentment. There's never fullness. There's always this unsatiated feeling. 
he contemplated into the nature of the wealth that he had and saw that it doesn't last and it's all going to break apart. Thing is, if we don't see this clearly ourselves, we may have enough energy to practice the Dhamma, but our faith won't be full, so we won't be able to really throw ourselves into it. But Venerable Ratabala, before he ordained, he saw this with great clarity. And so he was able to then take on the robes and practice all the way until he could attain to arahantship. He could then um, use that wisdom that he had gained to teach others, to teach those who had faith, and they in turn could practice following this way of Dhamma. <laughs> 